You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. If you are listening to the podcast of this, it is located at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. As well, there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, who are the sole publishers of Steiner to English and have given me permission to do these recordings. This is a compilation of lectures by Rudolf Steiner entitled The Festivals and Their Meaning. I'm on the last section, the Michaelmas section. This is the 26th lecture in the series, number 5 in this subsection. It is The Michael Mystery and the Excuse me, it's called The Michael Impulse and the Mystery of Golgotha, Part 2, given in Stuttgart on the 20th of May, 1913. We have tried to throw some light upon the character of our present age as it is determined by the workings of cosmic law. This is a matter that should not be lightly passed over. For when we speak of the spiritual forces, the spiritual influences of a particular age, these are likewise the forces and impulses which are at work in the soul of each one of us. We cannot live in harmony with our own souls unless we are able to place ourselves in right relation to these forces and influences of our age, which are at the same time the spiritual forces and impulses at work within us. In whatever way individuals among you may account for your belief in descriptions given by spiritual science, it is absolutely true that in the souls of all those who come to it with genuine integrity there lives, perhaps unconsciously, an urge that comes from the genuine spiritual impulses of our time. In the last lecture I endeavored to show you that at the present time we are living in what one may call the Michael Age. An understanding for spiritual things is now becoming possible for an increasing number of souls. During the course of previous centuries it was possible to acquire an understanding above all for the things of external natural science, for physical, chemical and physiological laws, for everything related to external space and time. During the Gabriel Age Understanding was awakened for all that went from triumph to triumph in the natural sciences and inclined people to a scientific conception of the world. Now, however, we are entering upon an age in which it will be just as possible to understand the things of the Spirit. At no time in human evolution have two successive epochs been so radically different from one another as that which has just run its course and the epoch upon which we are now entering. And never before have souls been more alien to one another than will be the souls of those who incline to what is spiritual and the souls who still adhere to what past centuries have brought. Nor will it be long before those who believe they stand firmly rooted in materialistic monism are quite at odds with the times in comparison with those who are seeking with longing for an understanding of supersensible worlds. For since the last third of the nineteenth century, a spiritual tidal wave from higher worlds has been flowing into our world, has made it possible for us to understand the way in which human and world evolution are spiritually guided.
nearly 2,000 years ago. The event took place which you all know of as the mystery of Golgotha. Of this mystery of Golgotha, we have often spoken here. We have looked at it from many different perspectives and have seen it to be the great center of gravity of all human evolution. It has, I believe, become quite clear that without reference to any religious views or creed, but purely through spiritual science itself, understanding for this event is possible and can confidently be shared with advocates of every shade of current religious belief. We have also spoken at some length about the reasons why various religious groups do not wish to accept the Christ event as the great center of gravity of human evolution. But now we must turn our minds to something else which was mentioned yesterday in the public lecture footnote entitled Lecture on Raphael and His Mission in the Light of Spiritual Science, Stuttgart, the 19th of May, 1913, and a footnote. It might well be that out of prejudice a person wished to know nothing of what took place in a certain small country at the beginning of our era, did not want to trouble himself about what we call the mystery of Golgotha. Very well, let us even assume that it would be natural for him to imagine the whole course of history in such a way that what happened on Golgotha could be struck out. Let us make that hypothesis. In the course of his study of the evolution of mankind, such a person will, nevertheless, discover a special characteristic of that age. We spoke of this yesterday. The epoch immediately preceding the mystery of Golgotha was a time of transition in the attitude and direction of the human soul. From having been directed more to the surrounding world in an external way, man's soul began to turn toward its own inner nature. This can be observed quite separately from the mystery of Golgotha. At the time into which the mystery of Golgotha was placed, the great transition was occurring from a life in outward surroundings to a more inward life. And anyone can feel this, even if he disregards the mystery of Golgotha altogether. Mankind was then at a turning point. It is not necessary even to speak of the mystery of Golgotha. One can point to quite other events to show that formerly human life had an outward direction, but that afterward those who are animated by the impulse of the age, by the true genius of the age, begin to make their life more inward. When anything of this kind happens, it does not happen without being prepared beforehand. I have no desire to subscribe to the trite saying, quote, nature or history does not proceed by sudden leaps, close quote. The expression holds good only within certain limits. Though the blossom is already prepared in the green leaves, is it not nevertheless a leap in development? Similarly, there was a preparation beforehand for what appears as a sudden incision in human history at the time of the mystery of Golgotha. When we go deeply into what we can find of the teaching and outlook of the last centuries of ancient Hebraism, we find a spirit of a Hebrew kind, of course, a spirit of preparation for the mystery of Golgotha, and not in Hebraism alone, for in other regions of the earth too 
we can find such a spirit of preparation. In Hebraism, new features began to show themselves of quite a different order from those that were there formerly. In the sixth century before the mystery of Golgotha, we find an altogether new mode of regarding the world, compared with what we find earlier in the spiritual life of the Hebrews. It marks a new epoch. This reveals itself clearly enough to the careful observer, and if it shows itself here in a different manner, since the old Hebrew people were differently constituted, yet it is the same spirit, expressing itself differently, which prevails in Greek philosophy and even in the Greek art of poetry in the last centuries before the mystery of Golgotha. We find it everywhere. One has only to make a serious study of thinkers like Plato and Aristotle, yes, and even Socrates, to see that this turning point is everywhere being prepared. Now, events that happen here on earth are guided and controlled from the supersensible world. Before the physical life of the earth received that decisive new impetus which we call the event of Golgotha, the earlier guidance of evolution sent out a messenger, at that time still a messenger of Jehovah, to guide this event. He was the spirit who prepared the period of civilization up to the time of the mystery of Golgotha, the same who is the leader of our own cultural epoch just beginning, the spirit we have called Michael. Just as Michael gives our age its character, so did he imbue the whole civilization which prepared the way for the mystery of Golgotha. The power, however, which sent forth Michael from the higher worlds was at that time Yahweh or Jehovah. In those days it was not as it is in our time, when as soon as one speaks of spiritual things, the objection is quickly raised, quote, You often speak of the folk spirit or time spirit and of other spiritual facts, but you rarely speak of God. Close quote. People do not grasp why one does not speak of God. It is because no human concept can wholly embrace that in which we live and move and have our being. In this regard, one also meets with some points of view which are very interesting. When I gave a public lecture recently in a certain town, and, as the practice often is, questions were sent up to be answered, one man put a very clever question. He asked, quote, If, logically, one recognizes an object through the fact that one looks at it as an object and can stand before it, and if we cannot have an objective picture of an object, which we have in ourselves, like the pupil of the eye, for example, because we cannot look at it, then how does this fit in with the opinion of many mystics that one must remove oneself from God in order to be able to contemplate Him? Close quote. Certainly many mystics have maintained that one must withdraw from God in order to contemplate Him. It was a clever question, but the only answer that can be given is, quote, you may withdraw from God as much as you please, but you still remain in Him. You cannot get beyond God. Quote. Logic may often be very logical, but fall short of reality. In times when people stood nearer to the spiritual, they had a feeling of reverence for the divinity in which we live and move and have our being, the divinity 
which is not even always right to call by name. And for that reason, the ancient Hebrews, in order not to pronounce the name, used the expression, the, in quotes, countenance of Jehovah. The human being's countenance is what he turns outward, that by which he reveals himself. It is not the whole of his being. One knows a person as he is in his inner being by the features of his countenance. But one does not, on that account, presume to speak of the whole person when one means his face or countenance. At that time, therefore, Michael was called the countenance of Jehovah. People preferred to speak of the representative through whom Yahweh revealed himself to mankind, as though through an external countenance. Even in intimate circles, they would rather name the representative than speak of Yahweh himself. Michael was at that time looked upon as the spiritual regent of the age, as the messenger of Yahweh, as the member of the hierarchies from whom streamed forth the impulse that was to bring about an understanding of the event of Golgotha. In the intervening centuries, other beings from the rank of the archangels have guided mankind's spiritual evolution, but the one who guided it when preparation was to be made for the mystery of Golgotha is the same being who is now sending once more a flood of supersensible life into the world of the senses. There was a Michael age then, and a new Michael age is now beginning. There is, however, a vast difference between the previous Michael age and ours. It would take us too far today to describe the kind of understanding people have been able to bring to the mystery of Golgotha during the period which has elapsed between that Michael age and ours. There have been deeply fervent souls whose intense need for belief has enabled them to gain a relation to the mystery of Golgotha and its bearer. There have been deeply religious natures all through the centuries since the mystery of Golgotha down to our own time. But although the mystery of Golgotha exists as a real fact at the beginning of modern times, human souls can, nevertheless, not presume to understand it fully without preparation. New epochs will follow one another, in which human souls will grow ever deeper and develop an increasing understanding for what happened in the mystery of Golgotha. The event itself stands there as a great turning point in human evolution. Understanding of this event will continue to grow and ripen in the spiritual evolution of the earth. We cannot engrave this deeply enough into our souls. Let us look by means of a certain metaphysical abstraction at what actually took place at that time. We have described it from various points of view. Let us now choose a more abstract approach, but one which, if we allow it to work upon us, can call forth a deep feeling in our souls. When, with ordinary powers of observation and even with scientific observation, we study the things around us, we learn to know by means of ordinary thinking and ordinary science the laws of existence in the mineral, plant, animal and human kingdoms. These laws all culminate in an ideal, to understand life. But life is not understood here on earth. Occultism alone can give knowledge of life. External science can never fathom it. It would be the wildest fantasy 
to believe that one could ever penetrate the laws of life as one can physical or chemical laws. To do so remains an ideal, can never be reached. It is impossible for the physical plane to provide us with knowledge of life. This knowledge of life must remain the preserve of supersensible knowledge. But just as a sense knowledge of life is impossible, so also is a supersensible knowledge of death. There are conditions of terrible isolation of consciousness in the spiritual worlds. There is such a thing as a temporary immersion into a sleep-like condition, but there is no death in the higher worlds. Death is impossible in the higher worlds. All the beings we have learned to know in the higher hierarchies have this distinguishing characteristic. They do not know death. They never pass through death. Just as we are told in the Bible that the angels covered their faces before the secret of birth, the secret of becoming a human being, so must they and all other higher beings cover their faces before death. For death is an event that is only possible in the sense world, not in the supersensible. Among all the beings of the higher worlds, there was one and one alone who had to go through death. We may also say who willed to go through death, that is, the Christ. To that end, he had to come down to earth. In order that a being of the higher worlds might be able to accomplish what was necessary for earth evolution, the Christ had to descend from a world in which there is no death to the world in which there is death. If such ideas are at first abstract, it is for us to change them into feeling and experience. The full understanding of what I have now described in an abstract way will become a concern of the evolution of humanity. With a certain reverence, with humility and delicacy, let us approach today the secret of the mystery of Golgotha. For what was it that really happened then? It has often been described the Christ descended from supersensible worlds into the world in which he has since lived as a hidden force, a force, however, which will make itself manifest from this century onward. He descended out of a world in which there is no death into the world of death. And he, this force, has united himself with the earth. From being a cosmic force, he has become a force of the earth. He went through death in order to come to life in earth existence, in order to live in the earthly realm. And all through the centuries, humanity has striven to understand Christ through the souls who imbued themselves with his impulse. But the nearer evolution approached to the Gabriel age, which is now past, the more this understanding receded. Until today, just where there should be understanding, it is sadly lacking and materialism prevails, not only in modern science but consequently in theology too. Real understanding of the Christ impulse has diminished. Materialism has seized upon human souls and deeply rooted itself in them. Materialism became in many respects the fundamental impulse of the epoch which has just elapsed. Countless souls died during that epoch who went through the gate of death with a materialistic outlook. For such numbers of souls to go through the gate of death with a materialistic outlook 
would have been impossible in earlier ages. These souls then lived in the spiritual world between death and a new birth, without knowing anything of the world in which they lived. But then a being came toward them who they perceived in that world. They had to perceive him because this being had united himself with the earth, even though he rules invisibly for the present in physical earth existence. And the exertions of these souls who had gone through the gate of death succeeded, we cannot express it otherwise, in driving the Christ out of the spiritual world. The Christ has had to experience a renewal of the mystery of Golgotha, although not of the same magnitude as before. At that time he went through death. Now he had to undergo banishment from his existence in the spiritual world. And thus there was fulfilled in him the eternal law of the spiritual world, that what disappears in the higher spiritual world arises anew in the lower world. If it is possible in the twentieth century for souls to evolve to an understanding of the mystery of Golgotha, then it is due to this, that Christ, through a conspiracy of materialistic souls, has been driven out of the spiritual worlds, into the sense world, into the world of man, so that in this earthly realm also a new understanding for the Christ can begin to unfold. Christ has therefore become still more nearly and intimately united with the destiny of humanity on earth. And while in the past people could look up to Yahweh or Jehovah and know that he was the being who sent out Michael to prepare the way for the transition from the Yahweh age to the Christ age, while in earlier ages it was Jehovah who sent Michael, it is now the Christ who sends us Michael. This is the new and important fact which we must transform into a feeling. As formerly, human beings could speak of Yahweh Michael, the leader of the age. So now we can speak of the Christ Michael. Michael has been exalted to a higher stage, from folk spirit to time spirit. Since from being the messenger of Yahweh, he has become the messenger of Christ. And so when we speak of a right understanding of the Michael impulse in our age, we are speaking of a right understanding of the Christ impulse. Abstract understanding always deals in names, simply in names, and thinks it will arrive somewhere if it asks, quote, what kind of a being is Michael? Close quote. It wishes to know that he comes from this or that hierarchy, that he is an archangel, that archangels have such and such qualities. Then it is all defined, and people think that they then know what such a being is. But they do not. If one wants to understand the evolution of mankind, one must understand that Michael too has evolved. One must understand that the being who paved the way for the preparation of the mystery of Golgotha is the same one who now in our day paves the way for understanding it. Then, however, he was a folk spirit. Now he is a time spirit. Then he was the messenger of Yahweh. Now he is the messenger of Christ. We speak of the Christ in the right way when we speak of Michael and his mission, knowing that Michael, who was formerly the bearer of the Jehovah mission, 
is now the bearer of the mission of the Christ. My dear friends, we have been able to follow the path of Michael, a spirit who has, so to say, ascended in order to communicate a new impulse to mankind, who has ascended, or rather is ascending, from the rank of the archangels to the rank of the archai. His place will be filled by another being who succeeds him. I have spoken here on different occasions of the evolution which Buddha passed through. The puerile objections which are now being made against us are directed also against our understanding of the Christ impulse in the world, as though we had ever been one-sided in our representation of the Christ impulse. We turn our gaze to evolution as a whole and describe what different impulses underlie it, giving to each its due value. Again and again we have spoken of the Bodhisattva, who was born as Gautama Buddha, and have shown that for us it is truth that he became Buddha. We have followed his evolution until the time when he received his mission on Mars. And of that mission we have also spoken here. As long as man dwells on earth, each human being, however high he may stand, is accompanied by an individuality who guides him from incarnation to incarnation. The individual guidance of human beings is subject to the angeloi, the angel beings. When a human being evolves from the level of a bodhisattva to that of a Buddha, then his angel is, as it were, set free. And it is such angel beings who, after the fulfillment of their mission, ascend into the realm of the archangels. Thus, if we really understand how to penetrate ever more deeply into the supersensible evolution that lies behind the evolution of our sense world, we are actually able to perceive how an archangel ascends to the nature of the archai and an angel to an archangel being. I have not spoken to you about the spiritual background of the world in which we live and in which we wish to take our stand as anthroposophists in order that you may merely theorize over these things, but so that you may transform into feeling and experience what has been expressed in words and ideas. Yes, to be an anthroposophist in our age means to know the nature of the supersensible world which underlies the sense world of human evolution. To feel oneself in the spiritual world in the same way as physical man feels himself physically in the atmosphere. But we do not feel ourselves in the spiritual world by merely repeating spirit, spirit, spirit is in us. Just as one has to gauge the state of the earth's atmosphere in a real and practical way, from the formation of the clouds, from the humidity and other phenomena, so we must learn to experience in a real way the spiritual world into which we plunge every night when we fall asleep. We must feel and know what lives in this spiritual world, and what is now happening as a result of the mission entrusted by Christ to Michael, that is, to the same spirit of the hierarchy of archangels who in earlier times had served Yahweh in the preparation of the mystery of Golgotha. That is what is happening behind the evolution of our physical sense world, and to feel ourselves permeated with such happenings in the spiritual world 
in the same way as we feel ourselves physically permeated with the atmosphere which we breathe in and out, means to have a consciousness of the spiritual world which is thoroughly real and right for our time. Try to gather together such results of occultism as I have endeavored to lay before you into an underlying feeling that imbues your souls. Try to have a sensitive understanding of them and be aware what it means in these particular times to live consciously in the spiritual events that are taking place around us. To live consciously in the world to which our soul goes every night when we fall asleep and from which we return every morning when we awake. Try to lead the soul into the direct and concrete experience of what is so often abstractly called divine providence. For it lies in the true character of our age to do this. Try now, in this present time, to know and experience the individual beings who compose what people of past ages could only feel in an undefined way as a providence moving through the world. The task of the previous epoch was to find natural science. Place this as a picture before your souls. At that time the laws of nature were useful and good if they were rightly used to build up external world conceptions in the human soul. But there is nothing absolutely good or bad in this external world of Maya. In our time the laws of nature would be bad and evil were they still to be used to build up a world conception at a time when spiritual life is flowing into the sense world. These words are not directed against what past ages have done, but against what wants to remain as it was in earlier ages and will not put itself at the service of the new revelation. Michael did not fight this dragon in the ages that are past, for then the dragon which is now meant was not yet a dragon. It will become a dragon if those concepts and ideas which belong only to natural science should be used to construct the world conception of the coming age. The dragon is a fitting image for what wishes to rear its head amongst mankind, for what must be vanquished by Micaiah, whose age begins in our own time. That is an important imagination, Micaiah overcoming the dragon. To receive the inflow of spiritual life, into the sense world, is from now on a service to Micaiah. We serve Micaiah by overcoming the dragon that is trying to grow to his full height and strength in ideas which during the past epoch produced materialism and which now threaten to outstay their usefulness and live on into the future. To defeat this means to stand in the service of Micaiah, that is the victory of Michael over the dragon, an old image which for earlier times had another meaning, but which must now acquire the right meaning for our age. When we are conscious of the part we have to play as people of a new age, then our task can rise before us when we contemplate this picture of Michael conquering the dragon. Let us then take this picture and Make of it our imagination. Let us try to understand our times through a precise and real awareness that we are permeated 
by the spiritual guidance of our age, a guidance available to each human soul who sincerely and honestly seeks to evolve and ascend to ever higher levels of spiritual life. The end of Lecture 26